0: We continue our studies tonight as, uh, as I look forward to, uh, to continuing the storyline as we have looked at Adam and we've looked at Noah and we've looked at Abraham, the son of promise, uh, and, and the story of the son of promise. And we looked uh, yesterday at Moses and the exodus and we saw the things that God wanted from his people. He, he called them out of Egypt, this symbol of bondage, this symbol of death. He called them out of there so that they might be his holy, royal priesthood. He said, if you will obey my voice... You will be my people indeed. My royal holy priesthood. And and they said, we we will do everything you, you said, Lord. And of course they didn't do everything God said. And as soon as uh, Moses is gone for a short time, they get to being uh, impatient and want a distraction and they create idols out of their own imagination, their own desire, their own heart and and essentially are worshipping their own desires. And so we, we saw the story how Moses was so upset and he calls out who was on the Lord's side. Now I think about Aaron in that situation and, and I wonder how much he learned from that experience and that failure because it was his leadership failure. He, he, the people came to him. He was in charge. The people uh, asked him to create this. He graved uh, the, this calf out of the gold that they gave him. And it says that he's the one that made the people naked. And they were dancing because and celebrating because of Aaron. And I wonder how much he learned from that experience. And I think he learned quite a bit because as we go on in the story of Israel, not too much longer really, we encounter this story about the rebellion of Korah. Now that's found in Numbers chapter 16. If you've got a Bible... I'll ask you to turn to Numbers chapter 16 and we're going to read through this chapter together and we're going to break this down and we're going to see the story that unfolds as we see this, this great, uh, really so many great lessons that we can learn from this. You know, Apart from leadership lessons, we learn lessons about ourselves and, and really who the true high priest is as we look through this story. Numbers chapter 16, not long after this, the events that we talked about last night, It says, Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, and the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon you. Seeing that all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So here in number 16, we begin with this story of Korah. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and on gather up 250 men of the congregation, and not just anybody's. They gather up 250 men of renown, and they rise up against Moses. And they come to them with these accusing and biting words. You take too much upon you. You've taken more power and more authority than you deserve. Notice the other things they, they throw at them, these, these charges. All the congregation are holy. You know what they're saying? We're all just as good and as capable as you are. You're not better than us. We're holy too. We're part of the royal priesthood that God said we would be his holy people. The Lord is among them, he says. We don't need you to tell us what to do. God's among us too. Why do you lift yourselves up? What gives you the right, anyway, to be the leader over all this multitude of people? Moses and Aaron. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake to Korah and to all his company, saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. And he will cause him to come near him. Even him who he hath chosen will he cause to come near to him. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all the company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself and to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and to minister unto them? And he that uh, has brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and you seek the priesthood also? For which cause doth thou and all thy company are gathered uh, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? Moses falls on his face, showing us the reverence that he had toward God and the seriousness that he understood of this situation. These, this wasn't just a group of men that rose up to complain against Aaron and Moses, and were just mouthing off. This was a, a rebellion, right before their faces. And he falls on his face in reverence and seriousness. And he keeps God as his authority. He doesn't let his, his, his temper, which we saw at play, when he came down from that mountain, and was angry and holding these precious st- stones that God had written on, he breaks them before the mountain. He keeps God as his authority and he says, you know what, here's what we'll do and God will decide who is holy. These guys think, well, we're holy too. He says, God is going to decide who are holy. God is going to decide who are his, not me. Not Moses. We'll see whose worship God will accept. And notice how he turns the words back around them. They come to him and say, you take too much on you. You take too much authority for yourselves. And now he turns that around on them and says, you take too much on you. You've gone too far. You are overreaching. And then he reminds them of the special service that they have before God. And I want to note that question because that, this question really is what stood out in my mind when I was reading this story. And it was incredible to see the question that that Moses was asking. And it makes us understand the, the seriousness, and it makes us understand the story so much more. Is it a small thing to you? That God separated you to himself? He brought you near to himself in the service of the tabernacle and to stand before the congregation to serve them. This is what God did when he separated the tribe of Levi unto himself. It says in in Numbers chapter 1, 47-50, But the Levites, after the tribes of their fathers, were not numbered among them. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel. But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, and over all the vessels thereof, and over all the things that belong to it. And they shall bear the tabernacle, and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister to it, and they shall encamp round about the tabernacle. Look at this special service that these Levites had. They were in charge of making sure that the tabernacle was being taken care of and maintained and they had the service of all these wonderful holy things. The Levites were a special group among the people of Israel that God separated to Himself to be holy and be the ones that were near to God handling the service and the sacrifices and handling all these things that, that they used for sacrifices like the altar and, and, and the, the tabernacle and the gate round about and the the, uh, the lampstand and the table of showbread and the, all the things as they packed it up and moved it around. It was the Levites' job to take care of that. It was special. It was holy. In Numbers three forty-five. God said, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn from among the children, and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle, and the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. They were special. Was it a small thing to you? Moses asked Korah, is it a small thing? Do you think this isn't a big deal that God set you apart? This is a big deal. He set you in a position of renown. He set you in a special place and you belong to him. And here's the kicker Korah's family was designated to take care of the most holy things. So the Levites were to take care of all these holy things, but the family of Korah, he's a son of Kohath, it says, This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. They were given charge of the most holy things, the things that were beyond the veil. Carrying that tabernacle or that that covenant, that ark of the covenant around with them on their shoulders. They got the privilege to bear that. Is it a light thing? God brought you near to him, gave you this special place, and you want more. They wanted to elevate themselves. And here we see the echoes of what happened in the garden with Satan fooling Adam and Eve and saying, take this, do this thing that you see as good, and it will make you as gods. It will lift you up and raise you up in wisdom and in holiness to be more like God. And these men wanted to elevate themselves. Maybe that's what they wanted. They wanted to be more special. They wanted to be more holy. They already had charge of the holy things. They already were separated to God and were holy, but they wanted more. They want the priesthood now, too, because they think they're just as good. We're good enough. What gives you the right? And I want to note the question that Moses asks about Aaron. What is Aaron? What is Aaron? You know what he's saying? Aaron's nothing special. And Moses understood that he and his brother Aaron were just men. And Moses used this kind of language before in Exodus chapter 16, and Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel at even then you shall know what the Lord hath brought that uh, the Lord hath brought you out of uh, from the land of Egypt and in the morning then you shall see the glory of the Lord for he that heareth your murmurings against the Lord and what are we that you murmur against us And Moses said this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full that the Lord heareth your murmurings For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. See, Moses had used this kind of language to them and and would go on to use this kind of language repeatedly for them. Moses understood that he and Aaron were just men. And they were not opposing Aaron. They were not rising up and usurping Aaron's authority. They They were rising up and opposing God. Lifting up and elevating themselves and wanting the priesthood. You know, they might have thought that Moses appointed Aaron to that special place of priesthood because they were brothers. That's his family. Of course he's going to give his brother this high position. But that wasn't the case. God appointed Aaron. God gave him that place as the high priest. And appointed only his family to be the priesthood. And those who would serve in that position. Now we go on to verses 12 through 15. And now we deal with the rest of the bunch. Moses has addressed Korah. And now Moses is going to deal with Dathan and Abiram and their murmurings. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land of Egypt that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Without thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very wroth and said to the Lord, Respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Moses was so infuriated by this response, he calls them up and says, Okay, it's your turn. Come and make your case. Come and say what you need to say. He gives them the opportunity to come to, to hear their complaint. But they said, no. Nah. They, they hardened their necks and said, we're not going to go up and talk to you. Why should we come and talk to you? And then they use this language that Moses used against Korah. And he says, it is a small thing? Do you think it's not a big deal? And they say that to Moses. Is it a small thing to you, Moses? Do you think it's not a big deal that you brought us out of the land of milk and honey? You brought us out of Egypt. That was the real land of milk and honey. And I remember when they complained to Moses and say, you know, we had had it good over there. We had all this great food and the fruit and onions and garlic. Not sure why the garlic was a big deal, but I guess when you're in the desert eating nothing but but, uh, manna and quail for this whole time, you want a little bit of seasoning, I guess, I don't know. But they were complaining about this. You brought us out of the land of milk and honey. How horrible is this? That they think Egypt was the land of milk and honey. What God God has called good, the the land of milk and honey he was leading them to, they have now twisted and called called that evil. He says, You only brought us out here in the wilderness to die. And you even haven't fulfilled your promise to us. We're not in the land of Canaan yet. You just brought us out here for no reason. But this wasn't Moses' fault. This was their own fault. They're the ones who were complaining. They're the ones who, who sent the spies. They're the ones who didn't believe God. They're the ones who condemned themselves because they were faithless. It wasn't Moses' fault. And he says, now you, you haven't even done all this stuff. You were a, a big failure. You couldn't even take us into the land of, of milk and honey that you promised, and now you're trying to make yourself a prince over us. You're trying to be our boss now. And notice that other question he asks him. How how insulting. What are you going to do? Put out the eyes of these people? You know what he's saying? You, You want to take out our eyes so we can just keep following you around blindly so we can't see where you're leading us. He's calling Moses' leadership worthless. What a murmuring. What a complaint. And no wonder Moses got so angry with these men. And he asks the Lord, he says, don't accept their offering. I haven't, I haven't taken one thing from them. Moses has been there the whole time looking out for their good. And he says, he asks the God, don't, take, don't accept their offering. And so he lays down the challenge to them. And the challenge is this, we're going to offer incense to the Lord and we're going to find out who, who God really wants. So we look in, in, in uh, beginning in verse 16 there, he says, Moses said to Korah, be thou in all thy company before the Lord, all... Thou and, and they and Aaron tomorrow. And make every man his censer and put, in, <clears throat> put incense in them and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer. Two hundred and fifty censers. And thou also and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer and put fire in them and had and laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them uh, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron and said, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Moses lays down this challenge to them and instructs them to gather all their men. You guys go get all your men, your 250, your group of men of renown, get your censers ready, put incense thereon, on, and we're going to do this thing. And, and I'll have Aaron get his. It's a challenge. He's, he's throwing down the gauntlet. We remember things like this happening with, with Elisha the prophet and the prophets of Baal. And he lays down this challenge, 250 against one. They're going to let God choose who has accepted their sacrifice of this great big number, 250, or Aaron's, one man. And then it says that Korah gathered all the congregation against Moses and Aaron. They didn't just have these 250 men on their side. They had the entire congregation of Israel that they led out of Egypt to be in part of this rebellion. And everybody seemed to favor Korah's plan to remove Moses and Aaron. And they've caused caused widespread dissent. And I say that part because of what we'll read here in a moment. But they caused widespread dissent among the people of God. And they caused this great division. And this great rebellion. And God is angry. And and his wrath is kindled against Israel. Just like we read last night in Exodus 32. And this people said, we will follow the ways of God. And they turned their back on God. And so now, Moses, uh, he tells Moses and Aaron, get out of the way. Separate yourselves, because I'm going to consume them in a moment. But just like Exodus 32. And just like, again, in Numbers 14 we read of the courage and the great example of leadership of Moses and Aaron. For in verse 22 it says, they, remember Moses was the one who fell upon his face and begged before the Lord and interceded on behalf of the people. And I think Aaron learned his leadership lesson from that experience in in Exodus 32, because now it says they fell upon their faces and said, oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, will one man sin and will thou be wroth with all the congregation? So now they stand before God and they ask that question, will one man sin and all die? Moses pleads for them and Aaron pleads for them, though they murmur against him. And then we go on into verse 22, we see God's judgment against this group that had risen up against Moses and against Aaron and had all these complaints And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak thou to the congregation, saying, Get you up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses went up and rose up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the congregation of Korah and Dathan and Abiram on every side, And Dathan and Abiram came out and they stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up with all that appertaineth unto them. And they go down quick into the pit. Then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass that as he made an end of speaking all these words. That the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. And their houses and all the men that appertaineth unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord, and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Here we see God's judgment come down upon these men. He goes to Dathan and Abiram and in Korah, and he, says, he tells the people, he says, Get up, get up and get away from these men. Don't touch any of their stuff. And so you can imagine this circle of people that just kind of spreads around them in this big circle. And people have separated. And God says, don't touch anything of theirs unless you also be consumed with their sins. And all the people move away on all sides. And Dathan and Abiram stand in the door of their tents with their wives and their kids, their whole families. I think this shows us that sin doesn't just affect you. So destroy your entire family. And Moses says, if they die just like regular people, then I'm a liar. And God did not send me. But if some new thing happens, the ground opens up and they die, then you know that this is from God. And so that's exactly what happens. The ground opens up and it consumes them and all their families and all their stuff. And then a fire comes out from the Lord and consumes the 250 men that that thought they could rise up and be so holy to offer this sacrifice before God and they weren't even part of the priesthood. We've seen an, an event like that. When people go against the commandments of the Lord and try to bring strange offerings to Him that He did not authorize because they're not supposed to do that, fire will come out and consume them. We saw that in Leviticus chapter 10 with Nadab and Abihu. The only difference is they were authorized to offer to God. Because they were the priests, the sons of Aaron. But they offered it wrong. They offered strange fire to God. Now on this hand with with Dathan and Abiram and all these people that put their censors together. They were unauthorized and unqualified because they were not the sons of Aaron. They were strangers. It means they were not from the family of Aaron. And God consumed them with fire. God doesn't want unauthorized worship. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak to Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning and scatter the fire yonder, for they are hallowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar, for they covered them before the Lord, or for they offered them before the Lord. Therefore, they are hallowed and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. And Eleazar the priest, took the brazen censers wherewith they had burnt and offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. Why did God have them do this? To be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord. that, That he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured. So God instructs them to take this as a memorial so that they would remember, don't let people who are not from the, the, that are not sons of the high priest come and worship before me and offer up this incense. But notice what it says in verse 41. These, the whole congregation of Israel saw the ground open up and saw the fire from God come, and on the next day, on the morrow, all the congregation of, of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked forward toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake to Moses saying, get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. Aaron and Moses keep doing this for the people, even though these people hate them. It's the very next day. And notice that language, you killed God's people. That wasn't God's people. That was a group of rebellion that caused the whole congregation to turn against them. They're looking at what is evil and calling it good. Their minds and their hearts are so twisted because of sin and because of evil. And so the glory of the Lord comes and appears before all of them. I don't know how many times they have to see these great and mighty acts that God does or hear God's voice talking to them from this mountain, talking to Moses. And God says, now the people can confirm they heard the voice of God talking to you, Moses. This authority wasn't coming from Moses. Yet these people are so blinded by their sin and their desires that they just think, well, no, Moses is making this up. And he's, yeah, no, no, Korah is right. Dathan is right. Abraham is right. What gives these guys the right to to rise up against us? And even though God has killed these people who have caused this rebellion, these people are still complaining. That rebellion still lives on in these people. And God tells Moses, again, get out of the way so I can consume them in an instant. And a plague starts to sweep through the camp and kill people. And consume them. And Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put incense and go quickly out, and out unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from before the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood before the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the plague was stayed. Moses tells Aaron, get out there, run, get this sacrifice and run, save these people. And Aaron does. And there was 14,000 that died that day, almost 15,000 by the time he was able to run out and get ahead of the plague. And he stands between the dead and the living and the plague stops. God's mercy again stops because of these men that plead with God to remember the covenant that he made with his people. What can we learn? And what do we see here? I think one of the things that we need to to look at and examine as we learn about ourselves through these stories is to respect the authority. Do you think Aaron learned from that leadership failure? I think so. We see a totally different Aaron at this point. You don't think he felt a great sense of responsibility for that failure that he made because he knew it was his fault? You don't think he carried that with him now when he's dealing with this new group of people? And now we see him step in and intercede with Moses before God. We see him run into this death plague. What we learn from this story is to not develop an attitude like Korah and Dathan and Abiram against leaders that God has appointed. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17, the New Testament instructs Christians, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. When you develop an attitude, or when I develop an attitude, when we get annoyed because of the things that the leadership is deciding, or people that have authority over us are making decisions, and we get all upset about that, we're bringing grief into the lives of these men that God has appointed to guide you. And I'm bringing this out because it's important, I think, for every congregation to know and understand. Their job as elders is to help you. And if we're members of a congregation and we're not elders, we cannot have an attitude like those men. What gives you the right? I'm a holy people, too. I'm part of the royal priesthood. I'm cleansed by Jesus' blood. I'm just as holy as you. God's with me too. Folks, it's, it's heartbreaking when there's problems in a congregation when people don't respect the authority of, of elders. And it causes division, and it causes destruction, and it causes, and it can cause an entire congregation to turn against the leaders. And you don't want to be the person leading that rebellion because of the attitude that we might develop. It's not like a business where guys just have the great-looking resume and they're like, hey, we kind of like these guys. When elders are appointed, no, elders are appointed for a reason and they are chosen by God and appointed by the Holy Spirit to be overseers of a place. Be mindful of that and respect the authority because you're not... It's just like Moses said of Aaron. What is Aaron? What are we? And I guarantee you that your elders and elders all over the brotherhood feel this way. They're thinking, who am I? And when you rise up against God or against these elders, they're thinking, you're not rising up against me. You're not complaining about decisions I'm making because elders are simply representatives of the the chief shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. He is called that in 1 Peter 5, verse 4. They're representatives of the true high the, the bishop. And so respect authorities. I wanted to, to draw that out. I think it's important to talk about that looking at this story as we learn about ourselves. And what we see in this story is a picture of the true authority figure, the high priest. And for us, the true high priest that we're honoring and we're living for and we're we're trying to respect and we're trying to follow. Because we know he loves us and we know he helps us, and we know that he's there, is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter eight, verses one, two and two. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. We're not dealing with some earthly tabernacle the way the the children of Israel did and they had this man who was appointed by God although he he was appointed by God he is simply a man. We're not dealing with that. We're dealing with something much greater. Is it a small thing to you that we're dealing with the high priest the man that is sitting on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and he stands there as the high priest the one who has authority and it's not us. We're not the high priest. And if we think that there's some great sacrifice we can do or some great group we can gather together to to like these guys got 250 people and say, well, maybe the quantity is what counts. And we're going to get all these people to offer up these these sacrifices so that we can become more holy. If we think there's anything we can offer to gain the authority of the high priest, we're wrong because there's nothing that will do. Only the sacrifice of Jesus is going to prevail And and show Him as the true High Priest. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the Eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God? How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If you think there's something better you can offer God, you're wrong. Your own actions and your own works and your own things that you might think that you can bring God to make you holier and exalt yourself will not cleanse your conscience. The blood of Jesus will cleanse your conscience, and His sacrifice is the winning sacrifice. And for this cause, He's the mediator of a New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There's nothing we can do of our own selves. There's no sacrifice we can bring that will help us to be gaining that eternal inheritance or to have the cleansing of our conscience. Only Jesus' sacrifice will work. That's what will help us to increase in holiness. That's what will cause us to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is the one that guides us in his ways, and we should respect that great high priest who stands before the throne of God for us. He's not just standing on the throne of God because he's some power-hungry madman. He's standing on the throne of God because he loves us. And we ought to appreciate that, and love that. It should mean something to us. The other thing we learn from this is that God made this memorial so that people would remember that no stranger, people who are not from the family of the high priest, you cannot come before God and offer a sacrifice. And the same is true with our high priest. You must be a child of the high priest if you, accept, if you expect God to offer, uh, accept the offerings that you bring before him in worship and in the way you live your life. You have to be a child of the high priest. There is no other way. And the only way we can do that is by being born again into his family. Peter said in 1 Peter 1:22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, not of the seed of the flesh, not of the seed of bondage like we read about with Abraham, but we've been born by something incorruptible, by the Word of God. And and truly, the Word of God, as Jesus says, will make you His disciples and will set you free indeed. And when you're born again through the water and the Spirit, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, you are placed into the family of the high priest. And now you're authorized to bring offerings before the Lord and handle these great spiritual sacrifices that that are now made acceptable before God. Peter said this in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ because you've been baptized into Christ, then your worship can be accepted before God. But if you're not, if you haven't been baptized into Jesus, the things you're doing, the songs you're singing, the prayers you're making, all the good you're doing, it's like the offering of Korah and those 250 men. It is not pleasing to God and fire will come out and consume at the end. Only one way is going to work. And I know people don't like to hear that, that, hey, maybe my worship that I'm offering to God isn't that great. But the Bible gives us clear pictures of people trying to usurp God's authority and rise up against the ways of God and break this, this, uh, break this procedure and break this uh, declaration that God has made that only Aaron and his sons could come up. And there was this man who lifted up himself so much, and he was this great king, and he did all these great things, and it says when he was strong, he lifted himself up. His heart was lifted up to his own destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And what it reveals to us in that account is that the reason that happened is because he was the king and not from the tribe of Levi in the first place and not even from the family of Aaron. And God struck him with leprosy and cut him off from his people. This king, Uzziah, did the same thing. Tried to offer unauthorized worship to God. And it was unauthorized because he was not a son of the high priest and it's going to be a shocking day, even though people don't like to hear about it, it's going to be a shocking day on, on the day of judgment when Christ returns and there's all these people thinking, man, I, I had this great offering before God. I was part of this gr- big group and we were doing all these things. And it's not going to mean anything to Jesus. Matthew. Second Matthew. Matthew. There's no such thing as 2nd Matthew. 2nd Matthew. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> Matthew seven twenty-one 21-23. Not everyone that saith, saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And then and in thy name have cast out devils, and in in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess to them. I never knew you. I don't know who you are. You're not my people. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's just like what happened with Korah. These people gathered together and said, We're just as holy. We're going to make this great sacrifice to God and he's going to pick us. He's going to be happy with what we did. And God said, I'll show you who are mine. It wasn't Korah and his 250 men. And we need to make a true assessment of whether or not we are part of the family of Christ. Because at the end, you might say, God, I went to to services every single Sunday. I even helped lead songs, and I was leading prayers, and I I was going and cooking meals for people, and I was visiting people that were sick. I was sitting with them while they were sitting in the hospital. I prayed for them diligently. I lived my life in a good way, God. You should be happy with that. And he'll say, I don't even know you because you are not mine. You're not really a part of a child of the priesthood. And all those things you did were not authorized. No stranger shall come near. Let that sink in. And the meaning behind that. And know that these aren't my words. These are the words of God. Now if we're part of that priesthood, if we know that we've been baptized into Jesus and we're part of the priesthood... I want to tell you something. You are special to God. You are. First Peter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, just like those sons of Levi. We've been separated and brought near unto God. And yea, much more than the the, the children of Levi. We've been brought into this great relationship with Jesus. He's taken us out of darkness. He's cleansed our sins. He's made us part of his marvelous light. He's made us part of his royal priesthood. He's authorized our worship to him. He's made that acceptable to Jesus Christ. And he's the one that makes us totally complete. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. You are complete. Everything that's missing in your life, everything you've ever wanted, everything you've ever wanted to become, every feeling that you've had of emptiness can be made complete in Jesus Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. He is the authority and he fills our life and he makes us complete and you're special. Is that a small thing to you? That's a big deal. But because of the deception of Satan, our minds get twisted and we start looking at things backwards and we try to lift ourselves up in this life and we try to become more than what we were blessed to be already. If being a Christian is not good enough for you, I have sad news, you're not going to find anything that can replace being part of God's people and being complete in Jesus Christ. You are special. Don't forget that and don't let Satan deceive you into thinking, hey, we need to look. At, we need to do this new thing and we need to do this great thing and I need to be more and I need to have more power and I need to have more say in my life. You, we're not the authority. And just like Satan deceived Eve and said, you know that tree that God said, don't, don't even touch it or you will die? Go check it out. It, it's actually good. And so then she saw with her own eyes, and she said, well, it is good. And she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. God warned the Israelites in Numbers 15, right before this incident with Korah, to not look to their own ways and their own eyes. He says in Numbers 15, 39 through 40, and it shall be unto you for a fringe. He told them to make a fringe on the garments, on the borders of their garments, as a reminder and a memorial to them. And he says that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you use to go a-whoring, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God." Think about what those people were saying. They're looking at Egypt going, that was the land of milk and honey. They were in slavery and in bondage and dying and oppressed. Now they're looking to Korah and these non-family members from from Aaron's line, and they're saying, these people need to be the priests. They're looking at Moses, who talked to God on their behalf, and they were so scared, and they separated and said, no, we don't want to talk to him, but you talk to him. And he comes off that mountain, and his face is glowing because it's holy. And they're like, put a veil on, we can't stand this. But they want Moses to be the one who goes up and puts his life on the line to go and talk to God and ascend up to him. But now they're looking at him saying, this guy's a liar. He didn't even take us to the land of promise. And now he's an overlord. He's making himself a prince over us. Do you see how totally backwards these people are now? And when Korah and his company received the judgment that they brought upon themselves, as God said, the, the sacrifice or the offering of these sinners against themselves, they look at that and say, you killed God's people. They were so backwards. How can Korah and these gainsayers be considered God's people after everything God showed them? And I'm scared that sometimes we get that way. And I'm scared that these kinds of doctrines sweep through the church sometimes. People coming along, selling you something that is called good, that is is evil, that should be way more obvious to us, that should stand out and we should say no. That's not good. First Timothy 6, 3 through 9, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings. Isn't that what Korah and his people brought when they twisted the minds of the congregation? All they brought was evil upon themselves. They brought death and destruction. They brought this great division among the camp, turning the whole congregation against Moses and Aaron. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. You see, these these doctrines were sweeping through the church in the first century. People coming around telling them that your wealth means you're godly. Doesn't that sound a lot like the prosperity gospel that we hear today? Don't look at those things and call them good. Don't see with your own eyes. See through the eyes of the scriptures and through, through, through God. He says with godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. And if people come telling you something is good that is actually evil, withdraw yourself from those people. We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. But with food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Paul is teaching them some very critical information, not to be deceived with our own eyes You don't think people would have flocked to those kind of doctrines? We see it today. They do. People want to be rich. And it's sad because they never will be. They're getting fleeced by wolves in sheep clothing. The more we try to lift ourselves in value, like Korah and these people against God, and make ourselves something, the reality is that we're selling ourselves. Notice the description of Ahab. There was none like to Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. We're the holy people of God but we're prostituting ourselves out for nothing. We're selling ourselves to do wicked things and we're cheapening the value that God gives us already because we're his royal priesthood. Don't devalue yourself as a priest, as part of the royal priesthood of God. You are worth something. Is it a light thing to you? It shouldn't be. The last thing I want to point out to you in this story, as we see this beautiful picture of Jesus, our high priest, just like Aaron, the true high priest, even though these people committed this sin, He runs out into the middle of that congregation as that death wave is sweeping through. And what more clear picture do we have of Jesus coming into this world while we were dead in sins? The death wave sweeping over humanity. And here comes Jesus to stand before God between the dead and the living with a perfect offering to forgive us as he stands at the right hand, making intercession for us continually, keeping that death wave from consuming us. Jesus runs out and he does this for us. Who is the that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God and who also makes intercession for us. Is that a small thing to you? It shouldn't be. If you're here tonight and you know that your worship is not authorized because you are not baptized into Jesus Christ in the way that God commands through the Scriptures, don't let people deceive you who told you something was good in your life that you did that was actually incorrect. Follow the Scriptures and you will have peace like you've never had before. You will have joy like you've never had before because you will be a child of the true High Priest and your worship now from this point on, will be authorized before God and He will be pleased with the things that you do if you are following His will. As, as, and you will be special and valued. And if that's what you're looking for in your life because you're empty, I promise you that lifting yourselves up above God is not going to work. Come to Christ. Come to the true high priest who stops the death wave.